Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I think that a survey of our everyday conversations will remind us that hope is part of our grammar. It's part of our vocabulary, and we use it in a variety of ways. For instance, we might say, man, I hope the Cowboys win today. We might say, man, I hope my pipes don't freeze today. Uh, We might say, if we were stranded with those people on the tramway in Sandia Peak on New Year's Eve, we might say, man, I hope the rescuers get to us before we freeze to death. Uh, We might also say, I hope that that surgical procedure goes well. So we, we use this every day. We talk about things that we hope will go well, which is a good and natural thing for human beings. We, we wake up every day with some semblance of this or else we just wouldn't wake up. We wouldn't keep going. Uh, there are degrees to this hope. But hope, uh, as we'll talk about it today and as we understand it as Christians, when we talk about hope as a theological virtue, it's very unique in how we discuss it. So hope for Christians is a, what we call a theological virtue. And this, there's three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And so hope is part of that uh, trifecta there that, that where we talk about theological virtues. And that simply means something that is beyond our natural ability. So we talk all the time about how, you know, people don't know Jesus at all do great things in the world. People love people, they serve people, they do things around the world. You don't have to be a Christian to do good things in the world. We definitely affirm that. You can be someone who grows in courage. You can have courage on the battlefield. You can have uh, somebody who has fortitude when they're going through something really difficult. You can have all of those things. You can see character in people without any connection to Jesus. But when it comes to faith, hope, and love, there is absolutely no way to have those without Christ. Without this idea that Paul talks about being in Christ, we cannot attain those things on our own. We can't be smart enough. We can't be good enough. We can't be hopeful enough. Uh, we can't just do out of the goodness of our hearts. We just we can't do that enough to reach this level that is possible through grace in Jesus Christ. So when we talk about hope, or we talk about a theological virtue. This is something we receive first as a gift from God, but like a muscle that we use or a, a something that we train, a voice, it can get stronger with time. So it builds and it grows in us uh, as God has given it to us. And as we use it, it grows. And in the words of the great German theologian Joseph Pieper, uh, writing in the 40s and 50s, he said, virtue, theological virtue ennobles our human nature to something more than we can simply be on our own. So it, in, I love that idea of it ennobling our nature. So when we receive the nature of Christ and we take on in baptism as Christians, then we, that, that nature can be ennobled through virtue as we utilize these gifts that God has given us. So Christian hope is what carries us. It's what sustains us as the people of God, regardless of whether the cowboys win, regardless of whether or not our pipes freeze, regardless of whether we are rescued in the snowstorm, and regardless of whether the surgery goes well, hope is a possibility, and it's what sustains us. Because hope proper is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And so this new year, I thought it was appropriate to look at this text in Ephesians 1 and kind of forecast the year to consider hope, to consider Christian hope and what that might look like for us as a church, as a people of God going forward this year. And so um, Paul offers this great prayer for the church. And remember when he says in the great text that Cindy read for us and then the prayer that follows, uh, when Paul says you, he's saying plural. He's saying y'all. He's saying I'm praying for y'all, the church, the people of God. And he prays some really specific things for the church. And it's really helpful for us as we pray for And as we pray uh, for ourselves throughout the year, I always love looking at Paul's prayers and and the specific things that he brings out. So he prays that we would have spiritual sight. It's like uh, some translations will say, I pray that the eyes of your heart opened in the NIV or that your eyes, that your spiritual heart would be enlightened, that you'd be able to see things that you don't see otherwise, that you'd be able to know things that you couldn't just know for being just a good old boy from West Texas or Eastern New Mexico, you know, just something you can't know on your own. But I pray that you would know these things. And this is what Paul says. Pray that you have spiritual sight, that we might have the deep knowledge of some ultimate realities. Number one, the hope to which you all are called, he says. I I pray that, that God would give you the grace to know the hope to which you are called. And he prays that we would know and understand the wealth of God's glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. There's so much rich material there, a year's worth of material there or more, uh, but today I wanted to focus in on this first thing that he prays for, that we might know what is the hope to which we are called. What is the hope to which we are called uh, this year and all the years to come? What if we started this year joining Paul in this prayer uh, for one another? If we grew in this virtue of hope together, the hope to which we're called. So what is hope, and how will we know it when we see it? You know, how, how will we know that it's real hope and not some counterfeit hope, something that passes for hope just because it's a passing phase in our culture? You know, whatever the zeitgeist is that we would say, well, that's hope right there. But we, what's the enduring Christian hope that's sustained the church for 2,000 years? What does it look like? How will we know it when we see it? And when it wells up in our own soul how will we recognize it? Because, you know, it's you and I, I mean, we hear all the stuff and we're starting the new year and Wes and his gym are going to be flooded this week with all of us that look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, Dad, gum, uh, you know, I, I think I need to lose a few pounds this year. And so we put that at the top of the list. But we don't always take and do the same thing with our soul. You know, we look in the mirror uh, and what would, it, what would our soul look like in the mirror? And I think if I were honest, my soul would need some work in the hope department. It needs some growth in the hope department, in the sustained hope. So um, the, the great fathers of the church and Augustine and Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, they, all, they remind us that hope, more than any other virtue, is, is it's the virtue for a people who are on pilgrimage. And we as Christians, we're all on pilgrimage. Remember, we talked about this when we were doing our Genesis series and talking about Noah and the ark and how the church is the, it's symbolically, we're, we're the people of God, we're we're through the world, uh, through time and space, and here we are, and we're on our way to God. I mean, we're journeying towards God, and we're always on pilgrimage. We don't ever arrive in this mortal body where we will ultimately go. So we're always a people who are looking for the next trail marker. We're always looking to see where the next place is on the GPS, where we turn, where we go. We're always moving. We're always learning. We're always growing. We are on pilgrimage, and if we are on pilgrimage, 
Nothing is more hopeful, more helpful to us. Nothing is more sustaining for us than hope. It's what keeps us going. And hope is, it's that thing that it deals with the reason why we get out of bed in the morning. It deals with the reason why we go to work like we do. And it deals with purpose, the hope to which you're called. That's why it's so much fun to talk about at the beginning of the year. What is our purpose? What were you and I created for? Who are we? What do we have to look forward to? What's different about us? What do we really have that we can count on? So as Christians, we affirm that we have been created by God We affirm that we've been redeemed by God, we've been saved by God, and we affirm that we ultimately are always returning to God. We're on our way uh, seeking Christ, and we're we're journeying back towards uh, the place where we come from. We're always looking and searching and on our way there. And so uh, the New Testament logic then, in the midst of all of this hope conversation, is that if, and this is what we can really take to the bank, that if God raised Jesus from the dead, and if that's true, a foundational Christian principle, if that is true, then we have that God is also able to raise our mortal bodies and that we have hope for eternal life. And if we have hope for eternal life and we know that the end is good, that the end is solid, that when we reach our final destination and we're we're unified with Christ ultimately forever and ever, there's no more tears and all that good stuff, and we get a foretaste of all that now. But when we are ultimately satisfied in that heavenly understanding, when we reach our goal, if that's all true, it gives us something special right now that keeps us going. If we can really count on that, then it totally puts tomorrow and today in unique perspective. Among other things, hope uh, keeps us in proper relationship with our own death. You know, and we, we consider death from the time that we're little, and we ask questions about it, and we wonder about it, and what kind of relationship do we have with that whole concept? And we, uh, as Christians, if we have hope properly, then it helps us to maintain a proper and appropriate perspective on death. As Paul said, we, when we grieve death and we approach death, we don't do it as people who lack hope. But in fact, we grieve and we mourn as people who have hope. So it's a very different turn on the order of things. And I think when we're looking for hope and we're trying to identify hope, one of the ways to notice hope, and I think if we were to take a survey and talk about people where we, we see this real kind of hope exhibited, I think we would all recognize a common thread that, it, it, that there are people, there are churches that understand the economy of forgiveness. If we deal every day and wrestle with the economy of forgiveness, then we are going to be hopeful people. If we consider each day, you know what, I am in need of forgiveness. I mean, that's, that's the defining mark of a healthy person, a healthy church is, hey, I know, I know when I need and how I need forgiveness. And then if we're receiving that forgiveness and offering that forgiveness, we're going to be a people that has hope. That's how we maintain a real hope. And so this deep connection to the forgiveness of sins, which is celebrated in the text that was read for us today, uh, where we realize that Jesus has redeemed us, that he has forgiven us of our trespasses. Uh, In Jesus, we receive those things, and that ultimately is the basis for our hope. So anywhere in those times in our lives where, and I can think back to before I really, you know, had any interest in pursuing Christ at all, I had no hope 
for forgiveness. I thought, I mean, and this is common for us. I've talked to enough people that we all get to a point, we all deal with something in our lives where we think, you know what, if it weren't for that, or if it weren't for that phase in my life, I would be a forgivable person. But as it is, I'm just outside the boundaries of God's forgiveness. And that's a sort of, uh, that's a sort of despair. It's a sort of thing that, that keeps us from seeking the real gift that we all have in forgiveness. And that, if, if there's no hope of being forgiven, then that's the ultimate definition of hopelessness. If we think there's no hope for me to be forgiven, then we're not going to be able to live in a way that we forgive other people either. And it's just going to be this vicious cycle of hopelessness. So when, anytime we recognize this real uh, appreciation and understanding of forgiveness, we're going to see hope. And uh, the last thing about how we recognize hope, you know, it's like a lot of things. Sometimes it's easier to identify what hope is not, and then that helps us to kind of zero in on what we're actually looking for. You know, if you're looking for something through binoculars and, and you kind of identify, okay, that's not what I'm looking for. I thought that was, but that's just a fence post. And okay, that over there, that's, that's not what I was trying to see. That's just a bush. And, you know, that, that's how we identify what we're really looking for. And so uh, with, when it comes to hope, uh, we can definitely all recognize hopelessness. And again, the classical way that the church talks about uh, when, when we're missing hope, we're missing it one of two ways. There's two major ways to miss hope. So there's two major ways that we experience hopelessness. And the first one is despair. Despair. And despair is not, it's not something that just happens instantaneously. It's something that we cultivate over time. And, you know, we start out with a bad deck of cards and then we just keep playing them. And despair just grows and grows. And what despair says is, I'm an unforgivable person I live in an unredeemable world, and there's just, what's the point of it all? You know, and, and I mean, there's just no reason. Why do I even bother? Because there's no point. And then the second way to miss hope is through presumption. And presumption just says, you know, it's, it's kind of like this deep pride that says, I'm good. I'm doing just fine. I don't know what y'all are talking about, but I, I mean, I don't even need forgiveness because I'm doing so well, you know? It's the people you talk to and they're like, I mean, you know, whatever. I'm not as, you know, maybe I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I do some really good stuff in the community. I don't know if y'all notice me around, you know? And you hear this kind of stuff and we convince ourselves, this self-deception that, hey, we're fine. We don't need forgiveness. And what's the, another problem with that? If I don't think I need forgiveness, then I'm not going to be interested in sharing it with anybody else. I'm going to look at somebody else and say, too bad, man. It'd be great to be able to forgive them, but they shouldn't have messed up in the first place. If they had taken a, you know, a play from my playbook, they just wouldn't even be in that predicament. And, I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you say it like that, but I know that place. And I know the place of despair. And it's so easy to slip into one of these two areas, and we start depending on something other than forgiveness. So we depend on something other than grace, and then we miss the boat altogether. So, as we wrap up, how do we grow in the virtue of hope? If hope is this great theological virtue that we should all as Christians be looking for and growing in and basking in and, and welcoming in our lives, how in the world do we get there? How do we get there? And like many things in the Christian life, uh, it, it happens both instantaneously and through time. It's, it's not something that you just have to work at, but it's also uh, not something that, uh, that can't come in great doses all at once. So we receive these infusions 
of hope as we pray and as we gather together and as we sing the songs of faith and as we take care of each other and as we watch uh, God do work in our midst and we experience forgiveness, uh, it, grows our, it grows in our soul over time uh, and, and we, we begin to uh, you know, sort of look like that which we are receiving, that which is becoming a part of us. Hope actually becomes a part of our character to where we just then what seems natural to us ends up being this miraculous way of being in the world where we are exhibiting hope and we're living as people who hope for something greater than what the naked eye is trained to see. Our, our spiritual eyes are enlightened and we're seeing more. So how do we grow in this virtue of hope? And the simplest, best answer that I've heard over the years is prayer. And it may sound cliche, but this is what Joseph Pieper says, and he's Aquinas before him about prayer. He says, prayer is the interpretation of hope. Isn't that great? So we want to know what hope is, and we're like, but we want, I want the textbook answer. I want to know just so I can file it away in my head that, oh, yeah, I can tell you what hope is. But really, the only way to get to the hope that we're talking about is through prayer. It's the thing, it has to be interpreted through practice. We practice, we pray, and we work through this, and we wrestle with God, and we ask our difficult questions, and we, we complain to God, and we, we wrestle with this stuff, and ultimately, through prayer in that way, we interpret hope. We begin to express hope together as a church, as a people who are not afraid of the hard questions, and ultimately we go to God with these difficult things. So prayer is how we find out what hope really means. And by praying the prayers of the church together, uh, this is why we depend so much on the liturgy and on the Psalms and why we, we just depend on these things that as, as kids, they just seem boring to us. It's like, oh gosh, we had to pray the Lord's Prayer again and we had to sing the Gloria Patria again and we're gonna hear that Psalm again and we gotta say the same thing every time we take communion. And then you realize when you're standing in need of forgiveness when you're 47 or when you're 28, you go, man, those words are life and death to me. I understand now what that means that forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, it's life-changing. So, hope doesn't come easy. It requires a courageous heart that isn't afraid of asking God these tough questions. And this is why Jesus, uh, you know, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples about prayer. And so he said this, he told his disciples this parable that they should always pray and not lose heart. Or another way to translate that is Jesus told his disciples a parable that they should always pray and not give up. And that's what's at stake here. You know, are we going to give up or are we going to take courage, let our hearts take courage and grow and continue? And so the Lord's Prayer in particular has always been associated with Christian hope, that, that if we want to grow in hope, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And again, it seems like something that's just a rote thing, but what would it look like if we were a people that prayed this Lord's Prayer, that if this really got into our DNA, and we work through this every day, what kind of hope might grow inside of us? Because the Lord's Prayer, after all, is affirming that God is our Father. It's affirming that we belong. Uh, it is affirming that each day we need not only bread to survive, but we need forgiveness to survive, to be able to receive it and give it. And ultimately, that all things come from God, that all things return to God, that there is no greater kingdom, no greater authority than God's. And this affirmation, these strong affirmations in the Lord's Prayer, they build hope inside of us. So may we this year 
take this prayer as a template. Might we grow in hope? Might we be the people of God who bask in forgiveness and understand and then are able to share that with others? And may, make, may that make the difference in this world as we know it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.